Welcome to She's in Control with your host Sally. She's in Control is a podcast that brings to light inspiring stories of Arab women. Every Sunday, we invite you to join us as we delve into the life of impactful Arab women who has made significant contributions in various fields. Today, I'm so excited to introduce my fifth interview with a special guest, very close to my heart, my childhood best friend, Zena. You know, those kinds of friends with whom you grew up, you laugh, you cried, with whom you developed a bond so strong that even after 10 years without seeing each other, when we talk, it's like we talk and see each other every day. She's a strong, funny woman, loyal to her friends and who spreads good humor. Hi, Zena. Hello, Sally. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm so happy that you are with me today on the show. First of all, I would really like to say that you've put tears in my eyes because of this beautiful presentation. And I'm really happy that we are you've reunited um, in such a great um, project you're doing. Thank you so much, Zena. And you deserve more than that. It's crazy. I miss you so much. It's uh, literally been 10 years since we last uh, see each other. I know we tried several times to record that episode, so I'm so happy that we can finally record it. Yes, finally. I'm really happy, happy to talk to you today. It's really nice to um, to see old friends. And um, we were very special friends, I remember, when we were at school. I'm really happy we're talking right now. I'm so happy as well, and thank you again. First of all, uh, I usually start by asking my guest to introduce herself to the audience. So could you please introduce yourself? Yes, of course. First of all, my name is Zena. I'm almost 28 years old. I'm Egyptian, living in Cairo. I've got my French back from France, so um, I'm a French speaker. And uh, I also speak in English because um, I applied for AC when I, I graduated from, uh, from school. Now I am being a French teacher. That's great. Yeah, for the people who are listening to us, just to give some context, we met with Zena at uh, Lycée Français du Caire in Egypt, which is like a French uh, school. And then, of course, like I uh, moved to, to France to continue my high school studies. And then uh, Zena stayed at uh, Lycée Français. And if I'm not mistaken, you moved to EUC after high school diploma, right? Um, first of all, I, I, uh, I moved to uh, France. I moved to Switzerland. Uh, because of my uh, father's uh, work, uh, I was and I got my um, my French back from uh, Lycée Français de Ferney Voltaire in France. Yes, correct, great. I just missed that part. I I really have a bad memory because actually I went to to Geneva and we met there. So exactly, you this is to me on my birthday. So why did you why did you? I have a bad memory. Oh my god, I'm just old now. That's <laughs> okay. So you got your the French uh, baccalaureate um, in Geneva, and you came back to Egypt. So you you entered uh, AUC to start like a media communication uh, study, right? Yes. Uh, before coming back to Egypt, 
Uh, my parents tried so hard to convince me to stay uh, abroad and continue and pursue my studies uh, abroad. I did apply for media, for the major of media in France, in Nice, and I got accepted. <laughs> and I applied for the translation and, uh, com- and uh, interpretation department in the Geneva University, and I got accepted. But at the end of the day, uh, my decision was my decision. I wanted to come back to Egypt and pursue my uh, my studies uh, at AUC. Yeah, I remember you always has been so close to Egypt, and you super patriotic. <laughs> yeah, so patriotic, and uh, I remember even when you like your parents decided to go to Geneva, you were not like so excited about it, right? I was so unhappy. <laughs> This was the most depressive moment in my whole life. I really did not like the the fact of leaving my country, my friends, my family, and especially that Geneva is a dead country. It's more like a painting. It has no soul. Hmm. Yeah, and especially because you moved there also at, uh, I mean, you were uh, 18 years old, so it was... was only uh, 16. 16, 16. Yes. So, it, so it was like during your teenage years, you you, you, you really had your, your, your friends, your family, your stable environment in Egypt, and now you, you had to like uh, start from scratch. How was it that period? So you stayed there two years or one year? Three years. Let me tell you that my best friend, Sarah, uh, went there before me uh, and she was already there. She was already settled there. So I had someone there. <laughs> I had my best friend there. So uh, we got closer during this, uh, this uh, journey. And um, actually, uh, we did not really interact with people there. Like we were so close to mm. each other. We were always uh, introvert to each other. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it was uh, enough for you, you know? You, you, you had like uh, Sarah, your best friend, I mean, your comfort zone, and uh, it was enough for you. So that's uh, great that you had this opportunity to be with someone, a very close friend, and who is really like supports you. Yes, it helped me so much. It was, uh, of course, uh, better to have someone Uh, with during um, this life-changing period. However, it did not fill the part of missing my country, my family, because I'm really attached to Egypt as Egypt, not because of my friends, not because of my family. I really love my country. I really love my house in this country, you know. Yes, I really felt like nostalgia to everything I was doing. In Egypt, everything I was listening to, I was uh, facing in Egypt. So yes, of course, Sara was enough to not be depressed, but it wasn't really enough to not miss uh, my country and my family. Yeah, I feel like uh, when you move to another country, but you are you're still young, you know, when you are maybe two, three years, it's like less complex than moving to another country when you when you're really like a, a teenager and uh, you really have your uh, stability and you have uh, your environment and you maybe you lived in another uh, countries but Egypt was the only country you stayed uh, almost uh, during your uh, teenage years 
So the fun fact is that I was um, born in China and then I came back when I was four. I came back to Egypt, of course. I was four and I, I removed uh, at the age of seven to the Netherlands. Mm. I stayed there. You, for- you didn't tell me about that, uh, Zina. <laughs> the Netherlands part. The Netherlands. <laughs> Don't do not blame me. For- <laughs> Short memory. <laughs> memory. I came back when I was nine. I stayed here for a long period of time, and the age of sixteen, I had to move to Switzerland. Uh, let me say that. Um, None of these countries were good enough to make me forget the nostalgia to my country. You know, I'm really attached. I, I don't know why, actually, but I, I'm really attached. I don't know why. And did you find like a reason? Yeah, that was my question. What is the reason behind? Because you, you were mentioning that it's not really the friends. It's not like the family. But what is it? What is like the secret behind this uh, attachment and this bond with Egypt? Let me say that I I don't really know why. All what I know is that I'm so proud to be Egyptian. I'm I'm very proud to be here. I'm very proud to be part of this country. However, there are many problems that we are facing, all Egyptians are facing right now, but I'm still very proud. I would never, never love to be something else but Egyptian. I feel the same. There is like a special things, you know, about Egyptians, about uh, the culture, about uh, the spirit there. And it's really like something you are not finding anywhere. Me, for example, today living in France, of course, you know, I have lived in France for, let's say, 12 years. And of course, there are a lot of positive things. And I feel like integrated in some way. But As my parents are Egyptian, and I also I have lived in Egypt, spirit is different and the people treating you in a completely different way. And I will give you like a small example. In Egypt, if you have like any problem in the street, you're going to have someone who They is coming to help you. They would take their mobile phones to take a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to take a picture, but they're going to come to help you and to tell you yes, what's going on. Yes, people you know? are going to help, but the other, the other majority will take, take out their mobile phones to picture this. <laughs> so, yes, this is the funny fact about Egyptians. We all go through the stereotypical idea of the Egyptians are very courageous, generous, and and they always offer for help, but not all the time, trust me. But still, I love my country. <laughs> you know, your country, even people are uh, making fun of you. I mean, yeah. I haven't been there uh, like since, uh, I don't even remember, since 2014. So I guess a lot of things uh, has changed. What I mean is really like uh, this support mentality. I can make the comparison, you know, because here, for example, people are quite like uh, individualists, which means that they are taking care of their own like uh, mm. uh, yes. situation. Uh, they are not really interfere in uh, any other like uh, someone issues or situation. I mean, if I am in a trouble, I remember when I was in, in Switzerland, I was in a trouble with a black man who started to shout at me, uh, insult me and tell me he was really aggressive. 
However, everybody was there standing, looking from far away, watching what's happening. No one came to me. No one asked what's happening. No one. Yeah, we are this is at what... the bus station. Do you understand how many people would be standing on a bus station? And no one interfered. It's crazy. Yes, and it's crazy. And sometimes people don't understand. Like when you talk to like a European person, they might not understand that because they didn't really uh, live in an Eastern country and more specifically like a country such as uh, Egypt. I mean, you can have like positive parts of this and also like negative side. The positive part the is, negative, you know... Sorry for interrupting <laughs> you. But the negative part yes. is if you have a fight in your own house... Okay, and you sh you're shouting to your husband, to your parents, to <laughs> children. You have your neighbor who knocks at the at your door and tells you, "What's going on? Are you okay?" Yes, I was about to say the same thing. I mean, the positive part is that you know that you are not alone. People care for you. People come and ask you what's going on, and they try to help. So this is the positive part. But at the same time. Sometimes they might be a lot so intrusive, you know, coming and telling you, being so curious, you know, about your situation. You are so curious and uh, it is very annoying sometimes because uh, sometimes you just feel like you have no privacy and uh, this is yes. not the best way to live <laughs> your life. But however, I really love Egypt. I'm so fucking... <laughs> I think that's gonna be like the slogan of uh, the episodes, you know. I love Egypt. And I remember, you know, I have a memory now when we used to sing, you know, the Dalida song about Egypt, Halwaya Baladi, which means uh, my country is uh, beautiful. So I really remember that we always uh, had uh, this connection to Egypt. When I was a child, I was kicked out. Uh, during the match of, um, it was uh, Tunisia and Egypt, something like that, or, or Algeria and Egypt in Sudan, I was having a bracelet that is uh, the, um, the Egyptian flag. Uh, my teacher <laughs> put me out of the class because of this bracelet. She told me, we are in a school, we're not in the stat. Yes, and, yeah. and she put me outside because of this. And I remember she called the surveillante, uh, Madame Moula. <laughs> I was maybe gonna listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she came and, and both of them were Algerian. <laughs> oh my God. So it yes. was like the wrong people <clears throat> you are dealing with. the same opinion actually about my bracelet. <laughs> How old were you when you did that? I was again uh, 15. Yeah, 15. Wow. Okay. That's something that is demonstrating how much you are patriotic. I can't even imagine what did you do during the Arab Spring, you know, the Egyptian uh, revolution. Of course, I went to Tahrir Square. Of course, I was posting billions of, of posts on, on Facebook. How did you, you know, leave that uh, period? Because I remember I, I was there in uh, 2011 and in 2013... We never discussed that. How did you feel? Because it was like a very special situation and context with a lot of insecurity, a lot of, you know, I remember no internet connection, no electricity sometimes. 
Yes, I mean, uh, the first couple of days were very um, exciting because I went down, I saw the protestants and um, all the, the, the protests. And I think it was really, um, I felt like I'm super Egyptian at that time. You mean, I mean, like, I felt that I'm doing something great for my, my country. However, after the 28th of Jan, some insecurities appeared and, and thieves were, were, went, were out of the jails and they were threatening everybody. So uh, we stayed at home. Actually, I, I was never afraid because I felt like nothing will ever happen because I love my country, my country is safe. And, and this is how I saw things at that age. I was only 15 years mm -hmm. old. Yes, it was in 2011. So I was 15 years old. I don't remember to be afraid at that time. Actually, I was afraid of the, the many homeworks I had to do before going back to school. <laughs> I love your, your, your way of prioritizing things. <laughs> yes, because teachers were giving us billions of homeworks during this period because we, we were all staying at home. And we did not know when we would go back to school. So they give us a lot of homeworks. And we had to stay every night doing so much homeworks every day. And this, is, this was not a good thing. It was horrific. This is interesting. Are we going to address it later? The fact that now you are a teacher? Because um, I'm curious to know and to understand what is your approach today? How, how do you teach to your yeah, your students, so what is the best approach, etc. Okay. But maybe the first topic I wanted to mention together is something like a bad, let's say, um, moment you have lived. It was during COVID when you were a student at AUC and you got dismissed. Maybe if you can give us some uh, background and context about why uh, did that happen and yeah, any elements to, to explain the situation at that time? Let me uh, tell you that I don't really love saying that these moments or this moment specifically in my life was a bad moment because it was a turning point in my whole life. In fact, it was a positive a positive twist in my life. Back to 2021, I was a student at the AUC. I was having uh, all my mm -hmm. classes online because of the COVID. Turned uh, all from 2019, all our courses were turned into the online, the e-learning. And mm -hmm. I was pursuing my, my, my studies uh, through, through the online, through the e-learning. Uh, however, uh, one day I got an email the dismissal letter. The topic was dismissal letter. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like uh, something they are informing us. Okay. Yes. I opened the email. Uh, dear Zaina, she have uh, blah, 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 blah. Unfortunately, we are here to announce you that you were dismissed from AUC and you're no longer part of the community. You need to come to uh, take your uh, file. If you want mm, to apply so. to another uh, institution. Okay. At first, it was hell. Oh my God. I felt like all my, my, my life stopped. Actually, I felt like I wanted to disappear, to die. Okay. Mm. And fortunately, fortunately, 
this does not last for more than one day. Because the next day I woke up deciding that I will write my petition, I will send the petition, and I will try to find other institutions in order to, to make them as a backup plan if the AUC rejected my petition. But just a, just a quick question, Zena. Did they mention the reasons behind that? And did you have any alerts before this uh, dismissal letter? Yes, I was under probation for more than two semesters. Uh, under probation is that I'm under the, the GPA needed. So I didn't really know, actually, because they, of course, sent me an email or something, but I did not see it because it was during the COVID-19 and I couldn't see all my emails. Imagine having five courses. Each course is sending you a hell of emails, the university, the admissions, the the provost, etc., are sending you tons of emails. So probably I did not see, I missed them. The email saying that I was, I was <laughs> under probation. When I saw my uh, transcript, I saw that in uh, 2016, so it was my second semester, mm -hmm. the, uh, spring 16, uh, I got all the grades Fs. I failed in all the courses. And this was mm. uh, a surprise because in 2016, I've been through a huge accident that caused me to stay three weeks in the ICU. Uh, I was in a very bad health condition. So my dad asked for, for a withdrawal and it was accepted. In 2021, I find out that nothing was withdrew and the courses were all put and I failed them all because I did not go to the uh, exams. So logically, I failed them all. I tried to talk, I tried to speak. Of course, after the accident, after coming back to university, I failed some other courses that's that was not the only reason uh, however it was a big reason if i had not to to uh, to put on my shoulder the five failed courses i could uh, raise my gpa i could repeat the mm -hmm. other courses yeah anyway i wrote my petition and i tried to uh, contact anyone i know uh, from the administration the the professors, the students even, but no one could help, even the chair of the department. He tried, but he couldn't. At the end, I received a phone call from uh, the secretary of the dean of, the, of students. She was very uh, harsh to me. She was, she was speaking to me as if I'm an enemy. Zena, you need to be conscious that you're no longer an AUC and you need to, to find somewhere else to apply to. Mm, so it was so like... Uh, it was harsh. Yeah. But I was conscious. And I replied or I answered, I told her that, okay, I know very well that I'm not an AUC. And I'm not talking about coming back to AUC to return to AUC. This is not my aim. Uh, I only want my file without the word dismissed to be able mm. to continue somewhere else. I did a mistake, okay? I, part of the responsibility is on me, but the other part is, is not my responsibility. I mean, uh, they didn't take into consideration the fact that you've been through an accident and that impacted your GPA, so 
Exactly. There were like some explanations to why you were in that situation at that time. Exactly. Uh, so I replied, I, and I answered that, okay, I'm going to take my file. Uh, I already applied somewhere else and I'm going to come back to AUC not to study in it, but to teach in it. And I hang, uh, I hang up and this is it. This is what happened. I tried to apply to other institutions. Uh, unfortunately, no institution <laughs> would wanna, want to take me because five years has passed since I took, I graduated from school. Just a quick question, Zena. So how many years? So, so I stayed at UC for five uh, years, five and a half. And uh, how many years were left to be uh, graduated? A year and a half. Okay, so not too far from uh, graduation. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Um, I applied. I applied uh, in the Arab Academy uh, for Science and Technology. They accepted me and they believed in me, actually. And I, <laughs> I applied and now I'm having the highest GPA. Working at the same time, I'm being um, a French teacher. And uh, I hope to finish soon because I have only a year left. I will finish, pursue my master's, and I will go back to AUC to teach them. I mean, this this would be a great uh, revenge, I would say. Yes, this is a revenge for myself. I mean, I was rejected by an institution as a student. I will come back to teach you. Yeah. And how was it the transition when you entered uh, and you uh, started at uh, Arab Academy for Science? Was it like uh, difficult for you to adapt? The the system uh, was the same system of teaching or was it uh, different? As a 25 years old, back in time, as a 25 years old girl who was kicked out from college and going back to uh, going uh, to another college and start over again, it wasn't easy all hmm. and I felt like oh I still have four years to do <laughs> I still have four years to do and it wasn't easy 25 years old the kiddos with me are 17 18 years old so um seven years bigger than them oh so so you didn't have any equivalence uh, to start like later no but you you had to start from scratch I had to start from scratch as I was dismissed. Mm, okay, so I have to I start it. all over again. I'm seven years older than them. This is it. I have to manage how to live like that. Okay, I managed. I started to uh, find jobs. I did. I found jobs. I uh, studied hard. I got a high GPA, high grades. I was getting A's in all my courses. I found myself... Uh, for the first time, as you know, I sing. Uh, I used to sing in the opera house as a choir, and I never had the courage to uh, be a soloist in front of people because I uh, feared the stage and the microphone. Mm. But the first time in my life, uh, I stand on stage in front of the audience was uh, when I started at this new university at AST. I participated in something called like Star Academy. And oh. Yes, in uh, the Arab Academy. <laughs> Not the Star Academy we used to know. 
This, this is the next step, Arab <laughs> Idol, or <laughs> I had I had the courage, I had the courage and uh, the confidence to uh, stand uh, in front of the audience and sing confidently. And since then, I can do whatever I want. I'm so confident in this. Just to to, to understand maybe the the insecurities before why it was hard for you to to, to get that courage to sing. Were you like um, putting a lot of pressure on yourself regarding what people would say or your of image. I was never confident enough. I was never confident enough at that time. I always feared how people will see me, what people would say about me. Yeah, and from your your point of view, what is the reason behind that? Why are you putting a lot of uh, importance regarding uh, your image and what people would say is it related to your education is it related to the arab culture maybe both maybe everything i, I don't know I, i i didn't really think about it before but i tried to break the, the my insecurities this is all i know i had insecurities i'm trying to i'm still trying to break them one by one no pressure <laughs> i still have many insecurities Of course, I mean, we, we have a lot to do, you know, we have a lot to work on, but... Maybe maybe the society I live in uh, and mm. uh, the way I got educated put on me the label of caring way too much about what the web will say, the, the, <laughs> the mm. doorman will say about me if I come back late or what will people will say about me if I uh, put shorts or whatever, you know? We always mm. live in a bubble where we care way too much about other people's thoughts of us. You need mm. always, you always need the approval of other people just to make sure you are uh, going through the right path. I mean, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And what was like the solution for you to start, you know? Miss, this was the solution. This was God's solution to get dismissed mm, okay. and to break the rules of being graduated at the age of 22 maximum, to get married at the age of 23, 24, to get, to have a job and to, to be settled, to have your first child at the age of uh, 25. This was God's plan for me. He told me, okay, you need to breathe, you need to know yourself better, and you need to get dismissed from this part. You, you need to leave behind all your old life and start again with a new way of thinking. Now, I'm almost 28. I'm still graduating from college, okay? And I don't feel like um, I'm ashamed. I'm not, completely not. I'm so proud of myself. I could do it. I'm breathing. I can breathe. People who run after the stereotypical idea of life are not breathing. Now I'm yeah, thinking. they just are followers, you know. They just need to follow like the rules, follow the standards, Definitely. the society. Uh, yeah. Because what will people tell say about me? At first, I thought this way. Huh? I said, "Oh my God, how will I tell my parents? How will I be facing my friends? How will hmm. I be looking to my family?" When, when they know that I got dismissed, and this is the first time in our family that someone got, <laughs> uh, 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 gets dismissed, how will I yeah. be facing? How will I be encountering all these pressures? But thanks God, I could. 
And now I'm very happy. I'm very proud. And I look to people. I mean, now I go everywhere. I say, yeah, I got dismissed. And now I know I'm successful. Yeah. I succeeded to be myself. I mean, you prove it. You prove it, yes. I prove it to well, myself. Say definitely, this is a point. So you proved it to yourself and then it released you from how the, the world is looking at you. So how was the re reaction of your surroundings regarding your uh, dismissal from uh, EUC? Okay. Let me tell you, it wasn't really encouraging at first, but I had no choice. I couldn't uh, leave myself to be affected and receive the impact of the negativity I've seen during this period. I mean, when I first told my, my father, he was shocked. He tried to help. He tried to, to be positive somehow. He tried to help. Bess, he stopped talking to me, okay? And he could not uh, manage his feelings, his sadness. At the same time, he did not want to uh, put on me pressure during this time. He knew very well how bad I felt. <laughs> he tried to be like neutral. My grandma went with me in every institution. We tried to apply everywhere until we found uh, the area of academy and we applied and we did all, all, all the steps together. And then I announced the news to my mother and here was the reaction. Okay. So it didn't announce. Yeah. So your mom, you took a few, uh, I took like the whole a, life to tell her. <laughs> I could not bear at that time her reaction because I know she was upset. I knew she would be upset. Okay. And this mm. is why I chose not to tell her before I handle everything because I couldn't think wisely if she knew because she would put on me a huge pressure at that time. And I couldn't bear this. Mm. But let me say that when I told her, she was starting to yell. But I told her that I'm not in the phase where I need someone to to make all this this um, this spectacle, put on me all this pressure to blame me. I don't want someone to blame me. Yeah. Now I'm taking all the responsibility all by myself. I'm trying to do everything all by myself. I don't need to be blamed now. This is my life that is being falling down. At the end of the day, you are the person who needs to deal with that. You know, it's your life. It's your uh, education. It's uh, everything. So at the end of the day, you're going to pay for it. Not your parents, not uh, your friends, not the society. You and you took exactly. this uh, ownership on so, the situation. So actually, this is me who is facing it. This is my life. And my life is falling apart and I need to take it up. I need to stand up and uh, be determined. I need to make a change of it. So at this time, I don't need someone to blame me. Bastiani now, she's mm. proud of me. She always says that she's very proud of me, that I told her how to be positive, that, that I told her how to restart again and all over again, and that it's never too late to start again. And my father does the same, and the whole society, uh, when uh, someone listens to my story, they start to say that it's a good story, that it's um, an inspiring story, that they are proud of me. 
I'm proud. I'm definitely proud of you, Zena. And I know that uh, when you have like a, a target in your, in your head, you work hard to to towards it. So it's definitely inspiring, and also to really see that it's not the end of the world. You know, specifically in Egypt and in the Arab culture, they put a lot of. Uh, importance on education and the fact that you want to you need uh, to have like grade A's you need to be the first of your class it, it's not always your thing actually we're not all the same we're not robots we're not doing the same thing all together because I mean what would be dif- dif- differentiating between two people if they are doing the same thing in each phase of their of their lives I mean if I and you were born and then we are uh, graduating from school. Then we had a job uh, with a great salary, and then we got married to have kids. Okay, what's the difference between us? We are like robots. Yeah, everyone has its own story, its own pace, and we don't need to replicate what other people are doing you know what's the, the the sadness about that is society puts a lot of success and standards related to success you know they relate that to uh, having uh, great A's relate that to having like a, a job with a good salary on or sometimes if you got married and you you have children now you are successful but we need to find our own measures of success I would recommend uh, people to read uh, a beautiful book that speaks about this, and it's called Rhinoceros. The author is uh, Eugène Unesco. It was beautifully written, and it is saying the same thing, that conformity kills the society. We are going to be like... um, a group or like a yes I don't know <laughs> <laughs> and at the end uh, we were we are going all to be copy paste we are going all to be the same thing so actually there will not be a society there will not be differences between us there will not be different personalities and so on it's a very important book you mentioned something, Zena. I need to uh, like <laughs> come back to it about singing. So you mentioned that, that this is like a, a passion for you. It's a hobby, but yeah. uh, today it's a hobby. Yeah. Is it something you want to be like a professional singer oh, or you are just doing all. that in your free time? No, I just yeah. want to keep it as a hobby. Zena, so you are studying, but at the same time, you are a teacher. How did you like uh, just start teaching? Why teaching? And uh, yeah, do you enjoy it? First of all, I started to teach because it came came like that. Someone, okay, recommended to me to uh, give a private lesson to someone who is in need of a private lesson of French. And I accepted. This was years ago. (laughs) This was eight years ago. And I did. Since then... Uh, I started to notice how much I love teaching and that is it is one mm. of my hobbies uh, to to transfer the to deliver and transfer the messages in a simple way um I started to to market for myself I started to post on social media that if anyone needs a French teacher 
I'm here to uh, to give lessons and I put my uh, my number below some people uh, asked me to give their uh, their children uh, lessons and I did and then yeah it grew up with me <laughs> I became more professional with days and I now teach in students from international schools French schools in Egypt and abroad specialized in uh, the, the, the brevet Troisième. This is uh, a certificate uh, uh, 15 years old uh, students take at school and in French schools, in the French system. And this is it. I became a French teacher and I think this is the thing I, I love the most to do. And I will uh, continue being a teacher, but maybe I will be a teacher in a university afterwards. Okay, so you want to continue teaching uh, even after your graduation? Yeah, of course I will. Of course I want to be um, a professor uh, in, uh, at the university. And this is why I'm trying to uh, get the highest GPAs and uh, in order to mm -hmm. be able to continue my master's and my PhD. Uh, but you want also to, to work in the media industry? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, probably... Or you completely changed. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day something will appear out of the blue and will be nice to try. For the time, no, I'm not intending to, um, to continue or to do something related to the media. But, well, maybe one day. I'm, I'm not refusing. I'm, I'm not refusing anything. I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is a, a good mindset to have, you know, just take the opportunities when, when they come. You mentioned that what you like about uh, teaching is to deliver message. And I really like to end the, the episode by asking my guests to share any message or any insights to the audience. This is a great way for you to take this moment to share any learnings with the audience today. So I would like to uh, let people know that an event is never the end of the world and maybe the curve you think uh, is declining and that you have reached the bottom of the curve, maybe this bottom is the beginning of the inclining curve in your life and it's the start of a great success in your life. Maybe it's the turning point you need to uh, live or go through to change your whole life. Do not lose your faith. Do not lose your confidence. And just follow your dreams and follow your pace. Do not rush. There is nothing to be rushing for. Good luck. I want to say a big thank you for my dear friend Zina. It was a true pleasure having this conversation together and get to know your impressive uh, journey at Cheese and Control Podcast. I also want to express my gratitude to our listeners. Your support and your engagement mean the world to us. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing it with your friends. Your feedback keeps us going. I also have a small request. If you are an Arab woman and you want to share your own story, your challenges, your success through our platform, you can DM me on the podcast Instagram page she.is.in.control.
Looking forward to meeting you next Sunday to share with you another inspiring story which I hope you will like. See you next week.